Welcome to School of Everything Else. Legends of Zelda, Part 3. This is the third in a series of podcast monologues on the Legend of Zelda series. I've said series twice, haven't I? Uh, this is the third in a... Franchise. franchise. Fran- oh, franchise sounds so Ooh, fina- financially invested. Uh, Legend of Zelda. Legend. The Legend. Saga. And and the, you, the Legend you know of Zelda just, legend. How about just the Legend of Zelda? That, legend that, 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 tells that. of a legendary legend. This is the third in a series of podcast monologues on The Legend of Zelda. We are here to talk about the games that either emerged since the second show, which was on Digital Gonzo episode 53 in 2012, all about Skyward Sword, or the ones that just plain didn't get talked about much in the first episode, which was Digital Cowboys episode 164, way back in July 2010. So in keeping with the series so far, rather than chatting amongst one another, we're going to go game to game, and the people with something to say about that particular instalment can share their memories and experiences with us, the group, and you, the listener. And round the table we have Gary Blower of Gameburst. Hello! Laura Kate Dale of Destructoid, Indie Haven, Polygon, and many other places. Hello. Glenn Watts, game developer and forum member. Hi there. Ian Hopwood from A Year of Steam. Hello. Lloyd Hun, friend of Ian Hopwood from A Year of Steam. Hello. Digital Drift Forumite David Garcia Abril. Hello there. Hola. Hola. And Digital Drift Forumite Richard Lego. Greetings. Also, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I have three podcast series that I've done, Cowboys, Gonzo, Drift, each one with The Legend of Zelda. That makes this the Triforce of podcasts. Uh, I just figured yeah. that out today. But that, I can't say that really publicly, because that means I've got to stop and never do another one of these. Because who ever heard of the Quatraforce? Well, since I recorded this, we stopped making digital drift shows and started making School of Movies. So technically... We missed the third part of the Triforce, and this is the first part of the Quatraforce. Either way, stay tuned for the Quinforce, because almost certainly we're going to be talking about Breath of the Wild a lot sooner than the amount of time you've waited between installments two and three. And of course, after the Quinforce comes the Sex Force. That's fine. You can start doing the negative Triforce from Link Between Worlds. It'll be fine. You'll find enough Triforces to keep doing. What did they call that? The, the low rule Triforce? Oh... I don't remember, like the mega force. It was some kind of stupid word that made no sense. <laughs> I don't want to use stupid words. I want to use symbolic words. But either way, it just uh, just right now that it's symbolic. But as soon as we do a fourth show, it's no longer symbolic. Two thousand and one, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. This is the first handheld Zelda game I ever played. I remember very vividly when I first played Oracle of Seasons. Um, I first got into that game, I bought it on a family holiday. I was maybe 10, 11 years old at the time, and I'd gone to stay with my grandparents in Spain. Now, I'm deathly afraid of dogs, and their house is full of dogs. They have about 15 dogs in their house. So I spent most of that holiday hauled up in one room with a Game Boy, a big pack of batteries, 
and Oracle of Seasons, which I'd never even heard existed until I saw it in a Spanish supermarket and bought it there and then. So for the week I was in Spain, that was my life, was this one little Zelda game. And the idea of a handheld Zelda game, I'd somehow missed some of the previous ones before. Like I hadn't hadn't played Link, uh, Link's Awakening or anything like that. And I came across Oracle of Seasons and it was very unlike anything I'd played in a Zelda game before. Um, it had the top-down 2D perspective of the original games, but it was a much more authored experience. It had a very specific uh, narrative thread running through it. It had all of these interesting new elements. Um, like you could you could collect an animal that would take you around, and most people got this punching bu- uh, kangaroo, but some people would get a big flying teddy bear. And depending on what you did in the game, you'd get one of these creatures and the others you just couldn't get. Um I remember the first time that I came across the seasons mechanic and this idea of switching on the fly between different states of the world and being able to go on this big grand adventure where there might be nothing I could do in one given area, but I could change everything around and suddenly like, oh, I understand now that I can turn this into winter where there was an impenetrable lake before. Now there's this path to progression. Um, It was a really interesting game. Um, It was also, it was the first time I played a Zelda game that didn't, directly have anything to do with Ganon, at least as far as I knew at the time. Um, like I played through that whole game and there was a very different threat and um, different enemies. And I got through that whole game thinking, oh my goodness, there's no Ganon involved here. That's that's really weird. And eventually I moved on and I went and played Oracle of Oracle of Ages and discovered, oh, I understand what's happening with Ganon now. You had to complete both of these pair of games that were released at once in order to unlock the true final fight. And that was, that was really interesting. Cause like as someone who'd grown up on the Pokemon red and blue games and a lot of other things like that, you rarely got anything new to experience by completing both of these pairs of games that would come out. And this is the first time I was aware that there was, Oh my goodness. If I finish both of these stories, there's something hidden that only I'll find. And as like a 10, 11 year old child, that was, a really like I felt like I'd found something that nobody knew existed. It felt much like the original Legend of Zelda the first time I played through it. Um, even though this is a much more narratively focused experience and it's much more guided, I s- still felt the same sense of discovery and accomplishment that the original Legend of Zelda had brought to me just because there was this little hidden thing that no one I knew had found and that it felt like something special that I had found, I had achieved, I'd o- overcome and accomplished. And to me, that's what The Legend of Zelda is about. So it was just this really nice package where it helped me to distract myself from a week that I really didn't want to be having. And that then sort of eventually led me to this feeling of I have conquered something that nobody else had found. Because in a pre-internet age, an 11-year-old child finding a secret extra boss, that feels amazing. Do you know if they retained that in the virtual console? It's on the 3DS store, isn't it? Um, you can, things. yes, you can still do it. The way that they connected the games is to do with when you finish one, you get a password. Ah. You put the password into the other game before you start playing. Ah. And then when you complete the second one, you get the true final boss on that playthrough. Gotcha. So t- feasibly, you could simply, in the internet age, get oh, that yeah. password in, and just load it yeah. into any in, one of yeah. them. But you still wouldn't get the full experience of playing both. 
Exactly. But that's like, great, they're, yeah. They're not directly connected stories. Like, much like any of the Legend of Zelda games, they are, like, many tales of one link across many lifetimes in many different stories, and they're not directly connected, but they do have some parallels. But they both converge on this one point where this is where everything comes back together. Ganondorf is going to come back in both timelines. Go stop him. And this is notable for... This was Capcom making them as well, wasn't it? Yeah, which... Yeah, which it really shows in some of the writing, I think. Um, the There is much more personality given to... Well, to Link, I think. Link gets a lot more opportunity to be in situations that show off his personality than other games. Like, I really like the way that Capcom wrote those games. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some very interesting dialogue. Um, it definitely also shows in some of the quest structure, um, in the way that they were willing to break some narrative conventions and some mechanical conventions in the series. Um, they weren't afraid to give you options, and then it's like, oh, if you take this option, you'll never get those two options that would play out across how the rest of the game would play. Those are the kind of things that Nintendo is usually too, plays the Zelda games too safe to do. Mm. Because of the fact that it was Capcom developing, they seemingly weren't afraid to take some of the lessons that they had from the Resident Evil series. Like this example that I've used of, you can get these animals and like, oh, if you pick this one, you'll never get the gameplay that comes from these two. Mm. It's very Resident Evil. It's this sort of, here are some options, pick one, you'll never get to see the gameplay from the others. That's a very Capcom thing to do, and it's something that Nintendo would never really want to do. So it it really helped to make this pair of games feel unique from other Zelda games. That also sounds like Pokemon as well, as in like uh, pick. Uh, that's not that's uh, Game Freak, not Nintendo themselves. But that the whole uh, you know pick your your starter and you will. Okay. The specific thing of the um, playing through one game and then playing through the other game is Resident Evil Two does do that, mm. but mm. the order the order you do that actually changes everything as well. So you, you can play Chris's story, mm. and then is it? Uh, it's uh, Leon Claire. and Claire. Leon and Claire. So you play Le- Leon's story, then play Claire's. It's different to playing Claire's and then Leon's. Yeah. Yeah. I've now, there are, there, the same is true for this pair of Zelda games. I can't remember exactly what changes, but there are some changes that happen when you put the password from completing one game into the other. It does change some things on your second playthrough. Yeah. I wish I could remember what now. I'm a terrible Zelda fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So I think that's Oracle of Seasons done, unless anyone else wants to do this one. It passed me by, unfortunately. I never had a chance to play that one. I think I might, I might go back to... I've, I've got several Zelda games on the go right now that I've never completed, so it's... Uh, that's, a, that's a thing, actually, because if you ever walk away from a Zelda game for a bit, like, going back to it's really hard to get back into the rhythm. As I speak right now, Sharon is trying to get back into uh, Link Between Worlds because I keep nagging her about it because it's the best. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, she's uh, She had to go back to the Swamp Palace... Um, because like if you're halfway through a dungeon, that's the worst. Because it's like you've done most of a puzzle, but like to go back in, you have to remember where everything was, what everything, what was working. It's 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 tough to pick up Zelda and, and the, the um to, to have several on the go. Like, I, I got to go back to Spirit Tracks. I got to go back to Link's Awakening. Uh, I will say you don't have to go back to Spirit Tracks. <laughs> you don't. Gary says you, you do. do. I, I say you don't. So you do definitely. <laughs> okay. Right. Well. we'll let, I'm going to try all of them so I can. Um, right, so the next one would be... <laughs> 2004. The Minish Cap. 
One of the best things about this game, I think, is obviously the size mechanic. The way the game works is you find portals that'll take you to the Minish world, similar to the Dark World, you can think, essentially, uh, from Link to the Past. But the reason it's different is because you simply change size. So you're in the same exact world, but you're like this tiny little man. And it opened up the world to like all these huge possibilities because you would you would see look at the world in completely different ways. You would see like a bookshelf and at normal size, it's just a bookshelf. But then you sh you shrink down and you walk up to it and you find a whole civilization of people living on the bookshelf. And it's like incredible. And it also leads to things like regular enemies being bosses. Um, at two points in the game, you will fight an Octork, a regular Octork as a final boss, and a regular Choo Choo. But you're tiny, so it's like this big epic battle, but I just thought it was like a hilarious way to handle things. Um, it had some very unique items. I still, to this day, I think the Gust Jar is one of the most unique Zelda items. It had so many uses, and throughout the entire game, I would just be looking for ways to to pick it up. It really reminds me actually of the um, the Seed Shooter from, uh, I, can't, I believe that was Oracle of Ages, I can't quite remember, but just this item that had more uses than just the, from the first time you found it. Oh, yes, uh, the Kinstones. Of course, I have to talk about the Kinstones in Minish Cap. So I love the side quests in Zelda. That's pretty much the reason I played Zelda games and why I don't always beat them, because sometimes I just prefer to go around doing the side quests. And in the Minish Cap, you could find these things under stones, and you could buy them sometimes, called kinstone pieces. And they're like these semicircle, jagged little stones that sort of look like gems. And you would find other people who had another half of a kinstone. And once you found their half, you could fuse them, and it would unlock things within the world. So it would cause a tree to grow to like a huge height, and you could climb up into the clouds or would open up an opening in the earth and you could go down there and you would find pieces of heart and treasure and it just made the world feel like that's the thing about Minish Cap is the world just felt so open and it felt like there was so much to do and so much going on that you couldn't see. It was excellent in terms of its engagement that way. I've, I've always loved Vadi. I thought that Vadi was second only to Skull Kid in terms of Zelda antagonists. And the story overall is pretty generic Zelda fare. I'm, I'm not going to say it was incredible, but I mean, you know, it, it was very interesting. You had a civilization of people living in the clouds. You had the tiny little Minish, some of whom were like miners in the mountains, some of whom lived in the forest. It was just so diverse and the world felt so open that I just wanted, it's what caused me to beat the game. I just wanted to explore it and see how it turned out. So that I just thought there were, it was so full. That's really the reason I love the Minish Cap. Two thousand six, Twilight Princess. I remember when the game was originally announced, it was going to be on the GameCube, and it was a kind of late generation GameCube title. We looking forward to it quite a lot, once, and that was the, the version I wanted to get and wanted to play. But as it got closer to release, and the release became later and later, it was continuously delayed. They announced that they were also going to release it on the Wii, and I wasn't particularly sure if I wanted to play it on the Wii because at that point in time, people weren't very sure about motion controls. And the talk that was coming out was that 
the Wii version of Twilight Princess was going to have motion controls in it. So I really, really, really wanted to get the GameCube version. In the end, I was never able to find the GameCube version. <laughs> it's incredibly difficult to find. Mm. It was, you know, it goes for a lot more on eBay than the Wii version does now. So in the end, I had to kind of suck it up and play it on the Wii. But in the end, the motion controls in the Wii version of Twilight Princess really aren't motion control at all. You play it as though you're holding a GameCube joypad and occasionally you shake the remote rather than press a button. <laughs> it's nothing like the way the motion controls are in Skyward Sword. Twilight Princess is sometimes maligned by some people who claim it's basically just a clone, a retread of Ocarina of Time. And in many ways, it probably is. But I find it to be the better game. Mm. It's uh, visually stronger. Uh, it has, um, as I said, it's a darker game than uh, Ocarina of Time. Not in the same kind of Lewis Carroll way that um, uh, Majora's Mask is. It's more uh, uh, pastel um, sepia-toned than, than the uh, bright craziness of uh, Majora's Mask. It's a more serious plot, and uh, the character designs seem to have struck a chord with a lot of Nintendo's other non-Zelda team developers in that the character designs in Smash Brothers, for example, are based primarily on the character designs from Twilight Princess rather than the other games in the series. That aesthetic is what really stuck with me when I first um, saw the game, because like the first time I saw it was that E3 where it was their one last thing and you had like, this is my first memory of an E3, was watching a disc I got from a magazine that had just here is all this rousing orchestral music and this dark link going up against this huge army and it was this visual and design aesthetic that really captured, I think, a lot of what people playing Ocarina of Time imagined that world to look like, you know, if you're playing it for the first time as a child like I did, being like, oh my goodness, this is that world that I basically imagined Ocarina of Time was. Ah, um, It's interesting. Like, I went in very deliberately wanting the Wii version. Um, I was very excited about the Wii coming out, um, and I ended up pretending to be sick on the day that the Wii came out and convincing my my parents that I was too sick to go into school, but I was well enough to go to game, pick up my Wii that I pre-ordered, and come home and play it all day. Don't know how I got away with that, they must have known, but I came home and I played Twilight Princess that first day just straight through and I kind of I largely ag- agree with with Glenn I think that a lot of people draw comparisons to Ocarina of Time and it's not wrong of them to do so but I think that the comparison I think that that comparison does a disservice to Twilight Princess um it's certainly I wouldn't say it's a better game outright than Ocarina of Time was um some of the temple designs are less memorable um, by spreading out the world as much as they did in Twilight Princess I think that they ended up with a lot of unmemorable empty space rather than Mm -hmm. Ocarina of Time's very small condensed memorable world Um, there are certain aspects that I think really could have been trimmed down and could have done with like a director's cut of this game to really make it shine but in terms of the the darker narrative where it's sort of about this you've got this princess who's losing control of her kingdom and she's sort of fighting to keep everything keep everything going together as she's ruling this land that turns to darkness and all of these quite dark subplots none of them quite as dark as Majora's Mask but still fairly dark compared to like an Ocarina of Time and the scale of the battles I still think is far stronger than it was in Ocarina of Time I think that most of the boss fights in Twilight Princess 
particularly the final boss fight, are a much grander scale and much better realized in terms of their impact and just that feeling of like this being a really epic final moment. I think that's better realized than Ocarina of Time in Twilight Princess. I think it's a less cohesive overall package, but I think that just personally, I prefer a lot of the moments of battles and the grand scale and the narrative of of Twilight Princess. This is one that I think is going to get an HD remake sometime soon. This gives you an idea of how long ago we recorded this. Uh, Twilight Princess HD on the Wii U was announced November 2015 and released in March 2016. I'm wondering whether we'll get it before this new Wii U Zelda, but um, nope. Everything about it See, like in the way that Wind Waker HD came back, and after many, many years of becoming, like, like overcoming its original uh, the hostility from Zelda fans, people have sort of taken it to their breast, and now they love uh, Wind Waker. I think Twilight Princess deserves that as well. It's very blurry and misty when you look back on either GameCube or Wii version mm. of it. So if that could be sharpened up and if they could deliver the obviously the GameCube controls on the Wii U pad, but um, if there is a way to actually like you know the way they've kind of overhauled uh, Majora's Mask and Ocarina just to sort of tighten tighten mm. them both up, if they could get rid of that empty space and the, and the faffing about, I mean like like they did again with with Wind Waker, they made the sailing easier, just like deal with a few issues, that would be a big seller, yeah. I think. I've I've thought about that before, but like I think that. Of all the Zelda games that could be remade, I think Twilight Princess, in order to do it right mm-hmm. and to make it the game that it really needs to be to shine, I think that it is the one, the Zelda game that would take the most work uh. to redo. I think that it would take some pretty extensive stuff being done to it to really sharpen it up to the game people want it to be. Mm. So you've run the risk that um, a HD remake of this would actually potentially look visually quite a lot like the Wii U game they're developing. Yeah, good point. Um, mm. And it might give people Zelda fatigue before that one comes out. Luckily, Twilight Princess HD looks gorgeous and not really like Breath of the Wild at all. And I'm playing it for the first time in the days running up to Breath of the Wild because I couldn't wait. Yeah, I, I don't see them remaking another console Zelda before this new one comes out. Mm. Nope. Wrong again! <laughs> I can dream. I kind of like every time yeah. I see videos of it, I'm like, I really, I never played that one, not properly. I think I got to the Forest Temple and then gave up because I, I, I bought, I invested in the GameCube version late in the day, so it cost me like forty pounds, and I was like, you know, I will, I will let this play out until I'm, you know, I will try to get to the end on it, and I just didn't have the willpower. I really wish I had, but it was so blurry. And I got to a point where this is just after the 360 had come out, so I was starting to really get cheesed Ooh. off with SD graphics. Yeah, thankfully I played this before I invested in any of the next, at the time, next generation console. Yeah. So I, I was still like, this looks better than any Zelda game I've ever seen. Mm. That was enough for me. Yeah. Like I was one of those people. I was playing it on the Wii, and I went and tracked down the very hard to find component cables <laughs> so I could play it in slightly higher, but not <laughs> quite HD. It's it's like standard definition and a half. <laughs> From a development point of view, you've got the very interesting thing where for the Wii version they flipped the entire world left mm. to right, so that uh, Link had his uh, sword in his sword right hand, right not his right left. Oh, they got angry about yeah. that. 
And because of that, I can't play the GameCube version anymore because the Wii one's the version I played first. I tried to play the GameCube version recently. I can't play it because I get really confused about where to go. Welcome to the Mirror World! Oh no! Because <laughs> <laughs> Link, Link, Link is canonically left-handed, isn't yeah. he? In, in all of the he, games. He apart, was apart canonically left-handed. Well, yeah. he was canonically left-handed, but since then, they've made him right-handed in everything, including like Smash Brothers. So. Yeah. To, to accommodate I think the, right-handed the right-handed Link might be here to stay. At least while motion controls exist, anyway. Yeah. Well, even even the I believe the NX one has Link right-handed. For children in the future, the NX was what we used to call the Switch. Twilight Princess also gives us Midna, who is of the uh, companion characters in the 3D games, probably the one with that actually has the most actual character. Mm. In that the the fairies are. In, the pre- in, in Ocarina and indeed later in Hyrule Warriors are not really characters at all. And as Joshua Garrity was known to say... Um, a character called Midna kind of takes the same role as Na'vi in uh, Ocarina of Time, except she's not an annoying little piss weasel. Yeah, Midna has her own motivations, her own goals and her own sort of schemes that rely on having Link around but don't necessarily want him the entire time. Are we counting the king like she of... has her own life outside of Link. Are we counting the King of Red Lions as a companion? I can't remember. Does, does he follow you around when you're to do the dungeons? I don't think he... it, No, he's not with you in the no. dungeons, but he's certainly there no. with, you know, to give you advice he, when you need to go somewhere. He talks to you while you're in the dungeons. Mm. Yeah. You don't so... have a fairy... Do you have a fairy companion in No. Link? No. They, you do have a little stone which keeps badgering you. Which yeah. actually, yeah, well, I, I believe is, is at the other end of that stone is the King of Red Lions. Yeah, he's talking to yeah. So yeah, I never thought of him as a companion character, but I still think that... That's because he's not I annoying. Think, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think Midna has more of like a character arc as a constant companion yeah. than he does, I think. I mean, I, I bought it when it came out. I never enjoyed it. Oh, right. I, it was, no, it's not... Uh, I was kind of... Uh, I had issues with the, the history of that game, how it came about, because of course it wasn't... Um, in, originally it was going to be a, a Wind Waker sequel um, and because Wind Waker didn't sell very well they felt they had to go back to the Ocarina template and I, you know, I, and at the time I felt that was a backward step they were just sort of giving in to peer pressure really because I mean you've got to remember the reaction to Wind Waker was so negative so negative well, I mean, it was so negative pre-release but I think once it came out people were like oh this is an amazing game well, those that played it yeah but the problem is it, it didn't sell anywhere near as much as what uh uh, Ocarina and and uh, Majora's Mask had for that reason, and they and so that's why with with Twilight Princess they uh, they went back to that formula, and and for me it just felt felt like a uh, I don't know I'm a huge fan of, of Majora's Mask and uh, Ocarina, and and I well, I didn't want to retread those same stories again really. Mm. This just felt like a merger of those two, and uh, yeah, I just you know I just didn't enjoy. It. I got about two thirds of the way through it, and and just thought no, it's just not working I, for me. I can appreciate that. Like for me, for me, like all that I really needed was this is a very nice looking realization of of that same version of Hyrule that was like my first introduction to the series. Plus, I really liked the motion controls, even though it was only flicking my wrist. I was like, this feels good. I want to keep doing this in Zelda games. I prefer this to a button press, and I still maintain I prefer the waggle based sword controls in Twilight Princess to a button press. Something about it just really works for me. Wow. Yeah, I know. 
controversial statement there. Did you, what did you think of? Um, uh, we've got so much that we're say we uh, it's going to be on, in this series. We did a whole podcast on Skyward Sword. What did you think of that one? I had none of the technical issues that other people seem to have with Skyward Sword's motion controls, and because of that, I really liked the feel of how that sword worked. Um, I think that they could have done with toning back a few enemies. There's a few enemies that didn't need to be as specifically targeted as they were with sword slashes. But generally, I had no problems with responsiveness on those controls, and as such, I had a really good time with them. That being said, I understand a lot of people's... A lot of people just had technical issues that did not make it enjoyable, and I don't blame any of those people for not liking motion controls. It didn't innovate as much as Ocarina of Time or even A Link to the Past in my mind. You know, a lot of the elements are from the older Zelda games. But that's the thing. It's this combination of these old elements and new elements together that blended so well. I mean, you have the the, the 3D world that came out in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and I think really was perfected in this game. You've got the Dark World elements from some of the other games, like A Link to the Past, with you know you playing as the wolf, and even from listening to stuff about like Minish Cap and all of that. Some of those ideas when you're playing as the wolf really kind of feel like Minish Cap in a way. You know, you get you see a different perspective on the world. As the wolf, you can interact with different things. You can sense ghosts and find out what's going on in the in the Twilight Realm. So it's these combinations of elements together that really like stuck with me, and why I think it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite game to date of the series. I remember, well, one of my favorite things with this game was the fact that I beat it over the course of two or three days, and it's, it's a little fuzzy in my brain because I was running 101 fever, I'd stayed home from work or school, I don't remember which, and just, I, I re- my mom went to the store and rented it for me just give me something to do while I was running the fever and I just I instantly clicked with it as soon as I started playing it and I proceeded to play through it pretty much straight for two days so just I'd never had that with a Zelda game before I mean I played Ocarina of Time on and off for since it came out I mean I got it the first few weeks it was out but this game really just stuck with me and I proceeded just to play it for three days and even through some you know illness like got through it I got stuck in a few places but it was just an amazing experience for me, and I had a lot of fun with it. Like I said, it's just this kind of perfect combination of these old games with this rich story that I felt was stronger than what had come before. I mean, early on in the game, I actually got frustrated when you had to do the jousting on the bridge Mm -hmm. fairly early in the game, as I recall. And once I got past that and to the later stages, especially I want to say it was the Light Temple where you got the dual hook shots. That whole mechanic with the dual hook shots, especially playing it on the Wii at that point, it felt really fresh and I had a lot of fun. So I think that the temple that you're referring to is the City in the Sky, where you find the two claw shots. That's right. That's it was. Thank you. You're welcome. So when you when you're using the two claw shots, was the, did you play it on the Wii or the Cube? I played it on the Wii. Okay. So it was using the motion controls the entire time, and like, it felt very, to use a modern parallel, it felt very portal in that section, kind of having to jump between all these sections uh. and figure out where you were going.
2007, Lynx Crossbow Training. Okay, so Lynx Crossbow Training. This is a thing that did not need to exist. This is a thing that purely existed to take money from children like me when I was a child that were like, I like Zelda. Here's a thing with Zelda on it. I have to buy it because if I don't, they might not make Zeldas in the future. So I bought I bought crossbow training and I bought the stupid plastic gun it comes with. And the stupid plastic gun was stupid and stupid and stupid. And I own it still. I have this piece of plastic that's in my flat that takes up space in my flat next to a disc that takes up space for a game that was oh shoot these things here's about six levels oh you shot all the things it's done we reused some twilight princess assets and that is the whole thing i i actively regret spending money on on uh on link's crossbow training (sighs) so you didn't like it then no (laughs) no i didn't Spirit Tracks. So this was the sequel to Phantom Hourglass, which was the DS's first true outing for Link. And basically the Phantom Hourglass and then Spirit Tracks are sequels to uh, Wind Waker, which of course was the first game to adopt the kind of Toon Link look, the kind of cartoon visuals. And really the, the key thing for me with Spirit Tracks is what it actually did was to take uh, what they had done with Phantom Hourglass, which was actually to sort of construct an interesting world uh, and a handheld version, effectively a Wind Waker, but then totally break it with mind-numbing repetition and some really quite challenging and often frustrating uh, dungeon design. Uh, and what they did with Spirit Tracks is they uh, completely flipped that and they actually took some of the negative criticism of Phantom Hourglass and sort of turned it on its head and actually used it in gameplay terms. The, probably the thing that, the, that most people have an issue with the Spirit Tracks is the fact you're driving a train. Although that was like a massive appeal to me, being a bit of a, uh, a train nerd. Um, so it, it kind of follows the same premise as, as most of the key Zelda games since Ocarina of Time, where effectively you've got this big open world which you traverse, but this time, rather than being in a boat or on a horse, you use a train, and you've got train tracks that sort of magically appear and disappear, which are all part of the uh, the plot, really. The, the, the Spirit Tracks kind of represent the... Uh, the link to the to the other world where this sort of malevolent force is uh, once again uh, looking to come back into the world and uh, you're actually accompanied on in spirit tracks by zelda herself although it's her spirit it's her ghost uh, and she acts as your companion uh, throughout uh, and that's where one of the key gameplay tweaks is in that in a lot of the dungeons in the first game you had these things called phantoms um, which are these sort of giant sort of hulking AI monsters, I suppose, that uh, follow set patterns, and there was a lot of stealth-based um, gameplay uh, in avoiding them. But what they did in uh, Spirit Tracks was actually flipped it on its head in that you could use Zelda to possess them and actually take control of them. And then there were lots of puzzles based on on using her to control them, so that you could then go and do something else. You know, and there was some really clever ideas there. Um, and the other big criticism of Phantom Hourglass was the central. Um, hub dungeon if you like that you had to repeatedly monotonously keep going back to and going through the same areas over and over again and what they did with Spirit Tracks is they turned it into this giant tower 
and basically uh, you ascended another level of the tower every time you went back rather than having to redo everything over and over again um, the kind of the other the, I mean the, I have to put my you know cards on the table this is one of my favourite Zelda games uh, and I know there's a lot of people who don't actually like it um, but the key thing for me is I, I feel that of all of the games so from the the original sort of 2D sprite ones all the way through to um, you know most motion motion control ones this one actually has the best controls and I know that uh, some people don't agree but the fact is that because on the on the DS you you basically all the action takes place on that bottom screen and you have direct control with the stylus um, so it meant that things like boomerang puzzles and things like that you can actually trace the route you want it to take um, and you know when you're actually doing combat you can actually sort of if you want to do a spin attack you just draw a circle on the screen it was like really intuitive and so fun to play um, and I was really really disappointed I have to say um, when the, the 3DS game came out which was a Link Between um, Worlds thank you Link Between Worlds because it went back to the old 2D way because of course it is a sequel to uh, Link to the Past it went back to the old 2D way of doing things and I lost all that fantastic stylus control um and the reason that was in there, by the way, is because they basically used the Animal Crossing engine um, when they created uh, Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. So uh, it, you kind of lost that direct manipulation you had of the world. It kind of went back to being uh, a facsimile. You're pressing buttons again rather than with a stylus. You actually felt like you were interacting with the environment and, and it felt so direct and so fun to play. And there's a train <laughs> and a whistle. And you can pull the whistle. Scare things. It's brilliant. <laughs> I wildly disagree with you on spirit tracks. <laughs> um, I was was enjoying spirit tracks quite a lot. I was a couple of hours into it, and then I discovered the microphone on my DS was broken, oh. which makes it impossible to proceed. Oh, uh, so that game, that game went back into my storage case, and uh, it's still there. It hasn't resurfaced. You get a new DS. Can you play it on the 3DS? At some point, it'll come back out of the yeah. case, and I'll play it on my 3DS. Yeah. But it, because I got so frustrated that I was really enjoying it, and then I couldn't play it anymore, that it just went in the in, into the cupboard. It was oh. like, you can go in the cupboard, and you can come out later. I was actually quite scared. That was about five years ago. I was <laughs> quite scared that I'd sold it to buy uh, Ocarina on 3DS, because I was like, I always meant to go back to that, but when you sell a cartridge, you're also selling all the progress you made on that cartridge. So I went back <laughs> yep. and rooted through my collection, and it's still there. I was like, yes! I can still go back. That's good. Top tip on the microphone, by the way, rather than blowing into it, which can be embarrassing and <laughs> Just if you just gently rub your finger over the top of the microphone, it does the same thing. Yeah, it's just it's just wanting a kind of the piezoelectric thing. It's it's a very minor effect that it's after. But if the microphone's not wide correctly up at all anymore, then nothing you do will make it work. But and there I is no alternative three, control. I think with a three D S, you can actually plug a, an inline mic uh, yeah. headphone in, and it will work from that as well. But the, I mean, yeah. that, that, that was set up to allow you. I'll play it again. It was set up to allow you to feel like you were blowing into pan pipes, which had a really yeah. lovely. Uh, feel to it like kind of much more like you were holding the equivalent of the ocarina for that game series in your hand and actually directly affecting it that was one of the things i love best yeah i i will agree that that is one of the things about that game that did feel really nice however i think that i think that phantom hourglass is a better game than spirit tracks <gasps> oh i know I even know. the temple of the sea king so yeah there is the repetitive temple and i'm aware that that is a thing so 
generally I'm not as down like as negative on the touchscreen controls as other people are um, I agree I really quite like how it works for certain items like I, allow, I like how it works for tracing boomerang paths and things like that that being said there are certain other times where like I want to in a fight when I'm trying to use a sword just be able to use a controller and buttons because I find that more responsive than trying to swipe and having it usually get my my swipes but sometimes it doesn't register them right and things like that and that just bothered me a bit but um no i could never get into spirit tracks um mechanically it felt very similar to um it felt very similar to phantom hourglass which i'd already played about as much as i could play of that kind of handheld zelda game like i could get through phantom hourglass and enjoyed it but i was like okay i'm a little bit burnt out on this i don't want to play this again and Spirit Tracks to me felt like very much the same game over again in many regards. Um, I could not take the plot seriously at the beginning because the whole plot as it's set up at the beginning is there's an evil train. Go catch the evil train that has a moustache for it's a the- face. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's the evil villain that is a train. It's the and I demon train. It it's fantastic. That boss battle no, at the end is I, amazing. The boss battle might be amazing but i can't take that seriously as a villain it's this is thomas the tank engine's evil cousin with the twirly mustache um yeah oh goodness so also i did not like the fact that the one time that nintendo has let us control a woman in a zelda game is one who's dead is that we have to kill her before you can before you can play as her fortunately she manages to transcend the fridge by becoming a free roaming spirit yeah, she's a free-roaming spirit, but it's still like, hey, we're going to kill you before you can be a playable she's, character. It's like, if it makes you feel better, she's human at the end. So when you have yeah, I know she now. is. She gets better. She, yeah. she does get better from being dead, but that just, at the time, like, the beginning of that game, it just, like, those were the two things that bothered me off the start, and I, I never quite recovered my love of that game. I played it the whole way through, but I was like, mechanically, this is Phantom Hourglass over again. I've played Phantom Hourglass once. I don't need to play Phantom Hourglass again. I don't like this train setup. I don't like that I'm fighting evil Thomas the Tank Engine, and I don't like that in order to play as Zelda, they had to kill her first. And that just really set me off on the wrong note, and I never really came to love that game after that. Can someone confirm for me that this evil demon mustachioed locomotive is actually called Daniel Trainview? No, it's called the Demon Train. Please, Daniel. Train it! Train it! I mentioned one boss battle, which is the, the, the when you fight the train at the end. When you fight awesome. evil Thomas the Tank Engine. Yep. It's just so it's just so cool. It's such an epic battle. And uh, and then there's, of course, another sort of standoff battle after that. I thought, um, actually, the boss battles in general were actually better than um, Phantom Hourglass. The other thing I really enjoyed were the, were the, was, the funny enough, because the, your exploration is actually fairly limited, because you can only go on certain tracks, although there's a kind of mini-game where you're trying to avoid sort of nasties that are on the track as well. I actually liked the way some of the side quests were set up. There were lots of sort of pick-up-and-deliver type side quests, which... Um, you had to upgrade your train to do, so you'd, you'd add, you'd add like extra parts to your train, so you could have like a, a goods carriage and that enabled you to then transport stuff around and solve some of the other sort of optional puzzles. That was quite a neat use of, uh, you know, of, of the theme in, it in which it's set in. And like I, you said, also, I think the the fact that they use those pan pipes and they're hmm. basically like um, steam train whistles <laughs> is kind of a so, nice. <laughs> a you nice you just like I was going to say, you I love if trains. you love trains, I folks, I, add two stars to whatever your final I rating do have for this somewhere game. In my, my steam my steam driver whistles. I can't remember what I've done with it. Yeah, I see, I 
I do not like the linearity of driving on train tracks. I did not like the puzzles that, inv- well, the side quests that involved go back and forth on this train track for a bit and just spend time just sat on a train while it goes back and forth. And I disagree with you on the boss battles. I think that a lot of the mechanics used for the boss battles were first used in Phantom Hourglass and were interesting and unique and new when they were used there. And in Spirit Tracks, they felt like, oh, this is that. This is the same mechanics as that boss battle I did in the other, in the previous game. Yeah, it's kind so, of true for all the Zeldas. Yeah. I mean, all the 3D Zeldas, the boss battles are pretty much all the same. All yeah, but when, when it's all about like using the gimmicks of the control scheme of the platform, I think it became a lot more obvious to me how repetitive the bot, like how similar the mechanics of the boss battles were when it's like oh well this is the boss battle where i have to blow at this point during the fight and this is the one where i have to do this with my stylus yeah i would actually if anyone's not played either i would just go straight for spirit tracks personally i'd, I'd say go for phantom hourglass oh my God. <laughs> touch spirit <laughs> phantom hourglass had the best puzzle and it's the one that involves you closing your system do you remember the one with the map? Yeah, I do. Cool. The one with the map. That is the one that I took forever to solve. And when I did, I, I was like, okay, I understand why you put this on the 3D, on the DS. Which now. is the one where you blow the dust off by blowing into the microphone? Um, that's in, well, certainly in Spirit I think it's in both. I think it's in both. Oh, folks, if you have a 2DS, you can close it by just sticking it into standby mode. Yeah. But it's, I think what the actual, the way it's set up is like you close your DS to sort of like close a map on itself. And then when you open it back up again, it's, it's. Yeah, there's some ink on one side of it. And when you fold the map in half, it like layers the ink onto the other side. And you can see where you're meant to go on the bottom of the map. Which I thought was genius. It's possible, Gary, you might get some sort of stylus-type control back for whatever the the new new Zelda is on the Wii it. U, but maybe I, not. Uh, on the Wii U, yeah, that's possible, because the problem with the 3DS is that everything has to take place on that top screen. Yeah. That's the 3D oh, screen. Of course, yeah. And that's what basically meant they couldn't then use that same control oh, screen. Gotcha. Yeah. I can confirm that the new Zelda on 3DS only uses the touchscreen for sending messages to other players. To cheer yeah. them on or tell them to yeah. do which is they kind of they fourth. Unfortunately, that's one of the problems with the 3DS is that lots of games that were actually played really well on the DS don't play as well on the 3DS. You know, for the 3DS versions because they they have to swap the screens over, so you lose that direct contact. Gotcha. Um, are the only ones that kind of still work? Things like Animal Crossing, but um, it's a shame. But that was a decision. But you're right with the Wii U gamepad, they could they could revert to to that way of playing, but. Phew, I, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with that new Zelda game? I'm not convinced it will ever see a Wii U. <laughs> I'm hoping the gamepad uh, aspect of the Wii U carries across to the next console because I re- that's the one thing I'm. I'm I mean, I, I love a lot of things about the Wii U, but that's one of the things I like best. I, I would put money on having a touch screen and a screen in your hands on the next system. Mm-hmm. I would put money on that. Not in the same form, but you'll see a similar idea. Okay. That's exciting. Spirit Tracks was far from my first Zelda experience. Actually, I had beaten pretty much every single Zelda game uh, by the time it came out. But uh, Spirit Tracks did something that I was expecting the the franchise to do for a very, very long time. And that was uh, having Zelda, I mean the character, as a playable character. Because I think that she's a, a character that has a lot of, of potential, but uh, Nintendo 
probably uh, out of uh, tradition never goes into it. And uh, even though Spirit Tracks doesn't go all the way, it's definitely uh, a step in the right direction. Uh, not only because uh, you get to uh, to control her and, and do stuff with her, but also because of the relationship uh, she has uh, with Link in, in, in this game. A lot of people praise uh, Skyward Sword for that, but I honestly think that Spirit Tracks did it better. Because obviously uh, in fiction, uh, um, at least for me, it's very... It's very difficult to buy a quote-unquote romantic relationship if both characters are not in the same place, so to speak. And that's what you have here. A lot of people have a problem with the train mechanic, I guess because it kind of wears down the exploration in this game, which for a lot of people, it's one of the key aspects of Zelda. For me, it didn't bother me that much, and it has some pretty cool sequences, I, I, I think. Uh, a thing that I, I can always count on in the Zelda franchise is uh, that it has always very epic final battles. I mean, the climax, uh, the climax of, of pretty much every Zelda game is uh, it's, it's a, a spectacle. I, I think I cannot think of a single Zelda game that has failed me in that regard. But even then, Spirit Tracks, I think it has, it has one of the best in the, in the, in the franchise. Partly because again you uh, you have to control both Link and and Zelda, and I, I, it's something that I really want Nintendo to explore deeper. I, I would like to, I would really like to see a, a game where you can control both characters the whole way through. This time Zelda in her own body, no more uh, phantom or possessing me mechanics, and uh, yeah, it's uh, and see something uh, beautiful coming out of it because I think it has the potential. I really think that Spirit Tracks was uh, undervalued by people. A lot of people sort of passed it up because, I don't know, I heard some not very good things about Phantom Hourglass, so my assumption is people, you know, didn't like that one, so they ignored the next one on the DS. I never played Phantom Hourglass, so I can't speak to it. But I think people are really missing out because if I had known, if I had played this game when I was a kid, I would have lost my mind because I love trains and I love <laughs> Zelda. So I would, I can, I literally would have like, I would have fainted when I first saw this game when I was younger. But even so, even like in uh, my older age, I still love trains. And I just thought the whole train mechanic um, was excellent. If you ask me, it, it added to the exploration because you, as you played through the game, your whole goal was to repair the spirit tracks. So what you did is you would get these force gems, and with each force gem, more and more tracks would appear. And then you would go back to previous areas, and you would see like all this stuff that you didn't even know was there. I thought the exploration was handled very well with all the stations and everywhere you could go. Very much, I would say, if you like Wind Waker, I would say that um, that spirit tracks is very much like a handheld version. Like, don't necessarily go into it expecting it to be on that exact level of Wind Waker. But for a handheld game, I thought it was very grand in its scope. You could go to so many places and um, there was so there were there were a lot of mini games too that uh, if you looked like you would have to look closely for each station, but there was a lot to do in that game. And I, I just think personally it was very underrated. It might not be my favorite, but it's definitely up there. Without a a credible threat, like there is no credible threat set up at the beginning of that game that makes me feel like that world's in danger. It's like, oh no, what's the train? 
here's the solution to beating your evil train. You go to the train tracks and pull up some of the tracks. Your evil train, he's stuck. He can't kill anyone now. He can't take over the world. You took away the train tracks. Like, I don't know how you're scared of a train. Just don't go near the train tracks and you'll probably be fine. following is an excerpt from Laura Kate Dale's Podquisition podcast number 108, which she does with Jim Sterling and Gavin Dunn, The Miracle of Sound. This is just a f- funny, remarkable thing which I figured you guys would like to hear. News came out this week in an interview with someone from Nintendo that apparently Wind Waker 2 was a thing that was in development at one point. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. D- did you hear why it got cancelled? Because the reason's fucking hilarious. So, no, I just, I just saw it in passing. You know how Kid Link in Wind Waker has very small, chibi proportions? Yeah. They wanted the sequel to Wind Waker to be set primarily on the land. Mm-hmm. And the problem they had is that they wanted Link to ride a horse... And that Wind Waker <laughs> Link's proportions look fucking ridiculous on a horse. So they couldn't make a horse that fit with the art style, and they couldn't make him not look ridiculous on a horse. So They, they should have th- given him a little pig. Nope, nope, they couldn't give him a horse, so they threw out Wind Waker 2 when we got Twilight why Princess. They, why couldn't they just give him a boat with wheels? Uh, <laughs> it's Zelda, you can well, invent they, whatever you they want. They did, it's, it's the, uh, the game Spirit Tracks. It's a boat on wheels. In the Wind Waker style. Uh, they got there eventually, but um, yeah, no, apparently, like, ridiculous proportions brilliant. Wind Waker Child Link on a horse is why we never got a Wind Waker se- direct sequel on the GameCube. I'm, I'm still of the very controversial uh, view that Wind Waker is my, still my favourite 3D Zelda. I, I don't think that's a Honestly, controversial opinion. Honestly, it's not opinion. controversial anymore. It yeah. used to be. But I in in like I want to say like the past uh, seven years or so like I remember it it was getting popular, um, sort of around about the beginning of of the last generation. Um, yeah, there's a real movement to to say it was it was let, one of the best ones. Let me and I, a, I agree let, with you, Gav. It's I'll, my favorite. I'll one. add a caveat: Wind Waker on the Wii U is my favorite 3D Zelda game. <laughs> okay, that the is... The original that is, sailing yeah. was fucking excruciating. Yeah, they did, they did... Well, yeah, the, honest, like, honestly, the sailing is, is very comparable to the car in Final mm-hmm. Fantasy XV, um, when plus I think one, about it now. Plus one of the worst design decisions ever in a game coming up to the end of the original one was thankfully shortened a lot in the Wii U version where you didn't have to go hunting all the treasure chests... I'll give yeah. Nintendo credit for that. When they do a re like a re-release of a game, when they remaster something, they they do go back and actually like put in genuine tweaks yeah. rather than what Activision does, which is just like vaguely upscale something and shit it back out with no promotion. Or what Gearbox does is take a great game that sadly didn't sell very well, remaster it, and ensure that it's going to fail again because it's sixty fucking dollars. I'm Theo Lee. And I play Gwendolyn in The Princess Thieves, a swashbuckling comedy steeped in British legends. One of the largest portals that opened in 1872 was in London, which was, at the time, staving off the same plague as America. This doorway led to another world, populated by dwarves and orcs. People from both races came through, helped us repel the savage infected, and then stuck around to occupy England, creating a new class system with dwarves at the top, orcs at the bottom, and humans stuck in the middle. 
As the granddaughter of Queen Victoria, I am the last surviving member of the British royal family, and I'm about to marry and become Empress of two realms. One dwarf has adopted the mantle of Robin Hood for this era, and he and his long-suffering orc companions seek to liberate London from the tyranny of the upper classes. His bright idea is to kidnap me. The problem for Robin is that I'm extremely tough, and my dwarf nursemaid slash jester slash bodyguard Viola can weave exceptionally powerful spells to mess with your brain. Things do not go as planned. The Princess Thieves, now available for a limited time for free in a complete 25-episode podcast series. Just go to iTunes and search for The New Century Multiverse. My personal favourite way of getting around in Zelda is not necessarily on the horse, although that's way up there. It's not necessarily turning into a wolf, although that's also way up there, even if I wasn't a massive fan of uh, Twilight Princess. It's being delivered by a delivery witch. Uh Uh-huh. See what I did there? I see Um, what you did. Twenty thirteen, a link between worlds. So I think a link between worlds is absolutely fantastic as Zelda games go. Um, for me, it captures the two sides of the Zelda series that are the two things that I really love. It captures open-ended exploration at your own pace, next to this sort of guided narrative that um, is unique by comparison. It has its own separate mechanics. It's its own game, but that retains that sort of core idea of what the franchise is it understands this is these are the things you come to a zelda game for these are the things that are sort of ancillary to that we know which things we can change and which things we can experiment with and still have this feel like the core of a zelda game is there but it's also this fresh new experience so uh, mechanically the big thing obviously is that um, in this particular zelda game very early on there is a shop set up in which you can rent any item that you'd be able to acquire during the game and you can rent it for a small amount of money. If you die, you lose all the items you've rented. If you keep them long enough, you can make enough money to buy them permanently. And the idea is, right from the start, it's like, hey, here's every item you're going to get in a Zelda game. The world's completely open. If you want to go somewhere and you can't because you don't have an item, get some money, rent the item, find out what's in that direction. Or you found a temple, go try out that temple. If you've rented an item to get here, you'll probably be able to get through it. And like my, my experience with that game was um, as someone who played, I played a, a Link to the Past many years ago and I'd always intended to go back to it and I just never got around to going back to it. It's um, very much the same template as um, Ocarina of Time and ended up following, but where um, Ocarina of Time very much follows the same template as A Link to the Past does. And because of that, because Ocarina of Time is so much more cinematic in its presentation of that same story, I repeatedly go back and play Ocarina of Time and I very rarely find my reason to go back to the world of A Link to the Past, which is sad because it's a really strong world. And having A Link Between Worlds was a really good excuse for me to go back to that world and to re-explore it, but to be able to do it in that sort of open-ended way of the original Zelda games where I think my first experience of this game was I went straight into what is the hardest dungeon in A Link Between Worlds unknowingly and was like, oh my goodness, this is so tough. And then I went to the next temple and was like, oh, I stumbled into somewhere that I probably shouldn't have gone. But the fact that I was able to stumble in there, 
really helped feel like this was a persistent world where it is this is just a world that at any time i can go anywhere and i'm not being funneled and that really was a really nice experience to me i liked having all of these options open to me from the beginning and being able to pick and choose what i wanted to do and what i wanted to do it um other than that i really liked what they did with the narrative there were some really interesting narrative turns that um i just did not see coming um the revelation of a certain character towards the end i should no spoilers yeah that's it i think there's a revelation with a character that's my whole spoiler is that okay that's cool, cool. okay yeah no no that's, that's absolutely fine. yeah so the revelation with a character at the end of the game i should have seen it coming i don't know how i didn't see it coming but i did not see it coming and it really surprised me and i think that's what i can say for a lot of this game a lot of times things that sh- things that it did just surprised me in ways that i didn't expect um the dungeon designs were really interesting um the fact that you're not hiding these items halfway through a dungeon's design you've got them from the start of the dungeon means that you don't have that half of a dungeon where it's not really on theme yet um you jump mm-hmm. straight into this is the theme of the dungeon go from room one and to me that really strengthened the dungeon design it meant that the whole dungeon was more cohesive in design the whole way through and kept like thematic elements from room one right up to the boss and i think it just really giving that whole arsenal to players right from moment one really allowed the overworld and dungeon design to just be more cohesive and to assume that anything that they have hidden in that world is never out of reach if you think you've seen something you can go get the tools to find out if you're right or not you don't have to remember you can just be like right i think something's up there let's go get the bow and arrow and see if i can get to whatever that is and i think it just really brought the zelda formula together in a way that like while i understand people not wanting that mechanic for every zelda game i think for this one it really crystallized so much of what makes the legend of zelda great it was this grand adventure that you could set off in any direction you wanted and do anything you wanted but that had this authored story running through it of this big grand end of the world journey that you were working on to try and save existence and i just think it's fantastic the whole older digit about the first zelda you ever play will be your favorite um I, I was thinking about this one because uh it wasn't the first zelda i ever played i played um the actual first one i ever played was the adventure of link Somehow the, the first ones uh, uh, skipped me by. But the first one I really got stuck into was A Link to the Past. And this is both a sequel and a remake in the best way possible. Mm. It's, it's revisiting the world. You've got the music re-rendered into these wonderful sort of remixes. Um, and at the same time, it feels like it's not just the same trodden over plot. It's got the flavor of A Link to the Past, but it's not... It takes you in unusual directions. Mm. None more unexpected for me than adoring the 3D. Mm. Folks who listen to my show will know how much I hate 3D. I cannot stand 3D. Yeah, and this is just a beautiful exception to that, isn't it? <laughs> yep. It's, it's, it gives it depth, and it literally... It, 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 makes, it makes me feel like I'm holding a little magic box in my hand in which this adventure is actually taking place with tiny little toy people 
within this box that I'm looking into. And I kept the 3D off most of the time, but sometimes in a dungeon it'd be like, right, okay, there's platforms moving up to me and I've got to move across and then and I, I need some depth here. And I'd pop it on and it would just suddenly come alive and I would, I, it would actually improve my ability to do that puzzle. Mm. It's and then I could flick it back off again. The only 3DS game that I have played start to finish in 3D is I recently mm. replayed A Link Between Worlds on the new 3DS, which has the sort of uh, correction for positioning for the 3D. I Ooh. played that game start to finish without turning the 3D slider off, and that's the only 3DS game I've ever done that with. I had not heard about this correction. I might need yeah, to the new 3DS, things. it uh, it does some head tracking stuff with the camera, so if you tilt it to the left or right, it adjusts where it sets the focus point. So wow. you can tilt it and it still stays, the 3D point still stays with your face. Serious? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which, for okay. me, that was enough that I played through this whole game in 3D when I played it the second time. And the bosses are so great. Oh, aren't they? my goodness. They're amazing. They, they, they puff up into the, sc- like, 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 like from the lower floor of this mm. magic box they jump up towards you and you genuinely feel like they're jumping into the air and then they do their little thing and I was I never played a single boss without 3D on because it, it again it gave me more of a spatial awareness of what was going on in the actual world and we haven't even mentioned the core mechanic of this game which is being able to go become a painting on walls which is Im- implemented so splendidly and smoothly and it's it's I never got annoyed with this game and that's a first, even for a Zelda, yeah. for me. To me, you know what the, the best-selling point of that feature is? The fact that there were times when I forgot that it was something I could do. And not mm. in a bad way, but like usually with a gimmick in a Zelda game, like uh, becoming a wolf in they never let Twilight you Princess. That, yeah. yeah, they beat you over the head with it. Whereas here, there were times where I was like, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? Oh, I become oh. a painting. It's that simple. And it's just... It's never something that you're beaten over the head with. It's just, it's there. It's a part of your tool set. If you forget about it, you'll remember it eventually. Have fun. Yeah. And finding all those widgety little, uh, what are they called? The little grub things that cling to the walls. Oh, yes. Uh, all of them. When you wander around the world, you just hear them going, and then yeah. you just like. You have to get underneath them and then pop yeah. back into reality and you knock them off the walls. <laughs> but the, that very nature of that, going 2D and then 3D, gave the idea that the world you're holding is 3D, that the world you're holding is real. And Ooh. and again, this, this magic box thing was sold. Sharon's been playing the whole thing on 2DS and I feel like she's only playing two-thirds of the game. Yeah, it's, it's just this wonderful, it has this sense of permanence to that world. It is just this little little world that's only just out of reach and oh i love mm. it so much <laughs> and um and yeah in terms of plot i can't talk about it because it's totally worth finding out for yourself but this is the first uh, zelda that actually floored me in a kind of oh and there's more than one oh moment yeah like toward the end there are three or four of those moments where i'm mm. just like i can see where the hints were i can see where the world built this up it makes sense i never saw it come This is one of my top 10 favorite games of all time. It felt special from start to finish. And the fact that I managed to feel like this after having been so disenfranchised by Skyward Sword is nothing short of amazing. My my ranting about Skyward Sword is, is fairly legendary and also left a really sour taste after, you know, how much I adore this this series in general. Um, and, and, and I liked Skyward Sword. That's the weird thing. I liked and loathed it. But... Um, that there wasn't a single thing I didn't like about uh, A Link Between Worlds, aside from the fact that not enough people have played it that I can really talk to about it. 
I'm going to have to buy this, aren't I? <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you yeah. own a 3DS and, and have listened thus far and quite like Zelda or have played a Zelda in the past, this, is, this just play it. I mean, it's, uh, it's not for everyone. Obviously, Gary um, laments the fact that you don't get the, uh, the the stylus control anymore. But especially mm-hmm. if you enjoy... I mean, if you enjoyed A Link to the Past in in the past you've already bought and played this so you'll know how special um, that fit that can, that can i give a small be. confession for a minute yep okay my uh people are gonna hate some people will hate me for this but my least favorite game in the zelda series is a link to the past but, oh. but i know i know i know i know i know believe me i know but the thing is <laughs> i like that game because i just love zelda so much like i like that game but it's just I don't like it as what? much as the other ones. Why did you not like it? Um. Well, okay. Well, here's as much. The main of it is I just find it exceptionally generic. Like I like it. I think it's a good game. But there was nothing mm-hmm. about it in particular that really made me like. Oh, I want to keep playing. Really. And I, mm-hmm. I, I. Wait, did I beat? No, I haven't beaten it. I got very close to the end, but I, I just quit because I actually sold my mm-hmm. uh, Game Boy Advance, which I was playing it on at the time. But ah, it just never completely drew me in. But with can I, if you played it on a telly did in you, 1993, it would have been did, different. Did you play it for the first time after you'd played Ocarina of Time already? Yes, and yeah, there you go. I know, yeah, exactly. So I don't know, but it's, yeah. I think um, I, I just I, wanted to. I just wanted to preface this yeah. with that because I actually also love A Link Between Worlds. I think A Link Between Worlds is probably in my top five Zeldas when I think about it. I, but even me, like I didn't necessarily like A Link to the Past. But even still, A Link Between Worlds is an exceptionally designed game. There is so much about. You could talk for like hours about how well designed mm. that game is like just the paint mechanic alone is an incredible mm. implementation i just wanted yeah, to point you, out you definitely that, don't need to have played a link to the past it's uh, it is yeah, uh, an excellent game going yeah. straight in mm-hmm. i have in the past ranted about uh not ranted i have in the past complained about zelda feeling stale like they're just doing the same things over and over again one of the things i mentioned was you go to the first dungeon you get the slingshot you go to the next dungeon you get the boomerang you get the next dungeon you get the hook shot and it just it feels like you're being sort of like shunted through the world as laura said um giving you the option to get uh, any and all of the uh, items from early on in the game and just play with them it felt like Hyrule was more like um, uh, almost like a sandbox game allowing you to just run around and experiment and, and, and play about with stuff just that little bit of unlocking allowed them to produce effectively a fairly by rote Zelda game which still felt fresh enough and at the same time, it was sort of a celebration of everything that was special about the series, possibly excluding incredibly twisty narratives. It's it's a fairly straightforward game, but it's got that little like that that, that dose of perspective given by the uh, the, the the transition between two D and three D, and the feeling like you're holding this little world in your hands that makes it feel very distinct and the embodiment of celebrating this particular game series but kind of boiling it down into one so if you're only going to play one of these games this one ain't a bad choice um, all I wanted to say was if you haven't played it and you have a 3DS I honestly think it is probably the not necessarily my favorite, but it is the strongest Zelda in about half a decade, maybe a decade. It is the the easiest one I find to recommend to people who are either Zelda fans who have fallen out of love with that franchise or who people who haven't played it before and want an entry point. 
Mm. I find it the most easily recommendable Zelda game in probably the last five to ten years. Yeah. What was the last one before that? Mm. Skyward Sword. No, Skyward Sword's not. <laughs> no, no. Bad. I mean, what what was the last great one before that? Would you say? The, uh, before uh, that, my my go-to used to be like, and it's not even my favorite, but Minish Cap. Minish Cap used to be my go-to. This is a stellar Zelda game that has very few flaws. That is going to that most people will get on with fairly well. But yeah, this is this is the last thing since probably Minish Cap that I found very easy to recommend to people without got, with very few caveats. I've got to get Minish Cap on Virtual Console then. <laughs> yeah, Minish Cap. Minish Cap. It is far more linear. Um, it has its mecha- its gimmicky mechanic, but. Um, it is a very polished... It's probably the most polished of the sprite-based 2D Zelda games. That's um, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, the narrative is really strong. Uh, there's a lot of personality in your companion character that is really well realized. Um, Elsa's the only companion I like in pretty much any yeah. of the Zelda we, games. We, Elsa were talking, is like... we were talking about Midna as a strong companion character in the first half of this show. Um, mm-hmm. And... My goodness, I forgot about uh, Elzo. Elzo in Minish Cap is a far stronger companion yeah, I, I character. Think, yeah, because the thing is, he's he's like funny and he's arrogant, but in a very <sighs> endearing way, I would yeah, say. He you has, know, he, he has he's such a, a wonderful personality. He's definitely a troll. <laughs> uh, he's, and he's, it, uh, yeah, uh, he's trolling Link all the way through. <laughs> I think that's what yeah. make, makes it even, even more funny. So I really do think like. If you haven't played Minish Cap as well, Minish Cap is the last time that, in my eyes, the Zelda game was this immediately, re- uh, like, immediately recommendable, but also that, like, I think it stands the test of time very, very well, Minish Cap. Thinking about um, being a troll, is it possible that Navi was just being sarcastic the whole way through? And, um, like, she was just badgering you uh, about stuff you okay. already knew about? I, ha- I have to confess something. I never found uh, Navi to be uh, annoying. And, uh, wow. and, and And for me, and for me, the no, uh, I mean, everyone was uh, talking about how she interrupts you every single time, but it never felt like that to me. <laughs> I don't... It feels like that to me. I mean, I genuinely believe that, hey. okay, maybe... Maybe, maybe maybe I got hey. uh, a, a hack copy or something Listen. that turned turn it down or <laughs> Hey This is a Navi simulator. Listen. You know, I, I think they it actually has got a little bit mimetic. Watch out! Yeah. I, I think they actually improved the way um what quote unquote Navi works in Majora's mask because I think Tail, sort of like Elzo actually, is very like arrogant and um and sort of like rude but she's not rude in the way navi is we're like navi is constantly saying hey Na- uh tail only badgers you when you're in attacks like like she doesn't badger you during gameplay it's just like she'll be like oh you don't know what that monster is you're an idiot like like she, she isn't like hey you should go this way like she's she isn't yeah. just very like Na- navi, navi feels like a nagging mother who's like did you remember to wash your socks it's yeah. the have you remembered to oh you should thing? probably be going to fire mountain now yeah. <laughs> that's how at least that's how i think most like people i'm getting i see you are finding rupees in the forest again but you really should be thinking about going to zora's river i don't know the thing is for, for me for me it was like uh okay you have a, a message like that at the, uh, when you boot the game but then i Pretty much never, never heard uh, heard, uh, heard her again uh, unless it was because I was pressing the you know the the button. So she tells me yeah. the the weakness of the enemy. You might have been lucky enough to be going in exactly the directions that you were supposed to be the whole time. <laughs> I replay that game so many times that uh, more times than I can count, uh, honestly. <laughs> so I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, I honestly thought that maybe my copy was hack or something. Yeah, you got the quiet Navi debug mode. Oh, brilliant. I, I want that game. That sounds brilliant. Um, Navi's a lot quieter in the 3DS remake, actually. They, they took yeah. down her annoyance. They, they actually, they, they specifically did that. Like, yeah, now that you mention it, I've, I've been playing the, the 3DS version. Let's talk about them for a second, actually, because um, they, they have come out since I made the first show of these ones. So we got Ocarina 3D, uh, Wind Waker HD on the, on the Wii U as well, must be mentioned, uh, and uh, Majora's Mask on 3DS uh, as well. Um Two thousand eleven, Ocarina of Time three D. The main thing they fix in the three DS version of Ocarina of Time for me is that they allow you to toggle the boots quickly. Oh, right, as opposed to like going back in. I had to go through like four or five menus each time to do it. Which means that the Water Temple, which everyone hated in Ocarina of Time, is fine now. It's absolutely fine. (laughs) For me, I have to say, the Water Temple, even in the original game, I think is the best Zelda dungeon ever. You played a freak version (laughs) of Ocarina. (laughs) Good Water Temple and Quiet (laughs) Navis. I, I, know, I, I really like it. Well, yes. the thing is that um, obviously it's really, it's really, uh, really difficult. But the thing is, I, I like challenging games. I mean, one of my favorite games of all time is Ninja Gaiden Black. To give you an idea. Uh, <laughs> the main problem the Water Temple has is it has bad signposting. It's not making it clear at any point where you should be going, and lots of places look very, very similar to other places in that level. Which means it's very easy to not really be sure where. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it was that I was making the map in my head. I don't know. <laughs> But they fix a lot of problems. If you look at it in the 3DS version, they've actually retextured some of that dungeon as well, so that it's the areas in it are more visually distinct than they were in the original game. So uh, the World Temple in the 3DS version is not easier, but it's more accessible. I think that's mm, that will. Yeah, be the they've key. not they've not changed the puzzles or made it any easier to do. They've just removed the bits that were causing people to get stuck. Mm. They've taken away some of the obtuse edges to that temple. And as I said, being okay. able to change the boots means that you can actually breeze through it much more quickly. Mm. One thing people don't tend to notice... Sorry, I'm interrupting again myself, Glenn. That's Sorry, right. Glenn. Uh, was there anything else on I was there? Done. Okay. One thing people don't tend to notice because the screen is so small, they really did polish up the graphics. If you look back at the original N64 on a CRT TV, it looks awful. Uh, at least to me, because I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, my, my brain repile, recoils against those kind of uh, graphics. But on the 3DS, very pretty. They smoothed it out, made it sharp, bright, shiny. Um, it feels very... Um, I, again, I don't play this one much with 3D on, uh, by comparison. But uh, the, uh, it, it feels like, like a very crisp version of the game. Um, yeah, the, the one time I will say that I think the 3D is really beneficial to have on during that uh, penultimate fight up the top of a tower. Mm, mm. Um, because it really helps to have depth and to be able to is, detect depth during that fight. Is that the ping pong? That's the uh, laser laser ping pong swords. Yeah. It's very helpful um, to be able to tell where your laser ping pong ball is. 2013, Wind Waker HD. Wind Waker now looks absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it looked great on the GameCube, but it it, it looks like it could have been made yesterday. Uh, I've been playing it since uh, I got the Wii U, and um, 
it, it, it's lush and I've finally managed to like push my way through the game beyond the forest temple where I got to before and uh, I, I'm going to finish it so um, I, I can see why everybody loves this game and uh, I'm a huge fan of HD remakes I happen like Glenn you're not or is, is it you Glenn who, who, who laments I'm, the uh, I'm generally not yeah okay but I, I, okay, I, I, I will tell you Glenn this is a really good example of why HD remakes can work so well I'm also not that big a fan of Wind Waker either but, ah, uh, well, but here I mean if I if I think that there is a uh, an HD remake that really improves on the original is this one because they fix so many problems that the original had they couldn't really fix the final uh, Triforce quest uh, near near the end because they did that, uh, they did that as a patch for two dungeons that they didn't have enough time to to make. But um, now it is it's a little bit more streamlined, so it's uh, you can pretty much uh, finish it in one in one game session. So that's a uh, that's definitely an, an improvement. But uh, the biggest improvement is the new sail that makes you uh, that allows you to uh, travel twice as fast. And it stops you having to set the wind direction because the oh, wind yeah, is yeah, constantly yeah. going in your right direction. So it's like you no longer have to, s- which it's kind of sad that you lose that. But equally, just from a mechanical perspective, okay, I have changed the wind direction once. I clearly know how to do it. You don't have to make me do it every five minutes. Yeah, I think they, they realized that that mechanic wasn't really that uh, much fun. I mean, it makes sense, but... It's, uh, it's not really vital to the experience of yeah. exploring an ocean. And yeah, I don't know if the the new changes would make me enjoy Wind Waker anymore, uh, even though they are better. Personally, I, I couldn't. I, I beat it. I got through it all 100%, but just everything about that search at the end just uh, turned okay, me off. The main difference. I'm dreading this. Everyone's yeah. spoken about it and how bad it got. Okay, it's not as bad in this version, no. mainly because there's a lot less. Um, there's a lot less having to get the individual maps that used to lead to these pieces. The pieces are much easier to find. They're much better signposted. Basically, it's a lot less of an irritating search. It's still a search. You still have to go searching the ocean for these nine pieces, and you've got maps as to where they are, etc. But it's now a fetch quest as opposed to a fetch quest looking for a needle in a haystack yeah Yeah, yeah. and uh, you don't have to go back and forth uh, to tingle to decipher all the maps yeah you can just go like cost you a fortune yeah Yeah. they cut out the part where you had to farm for a fortune of money and keep returning to this one spot between them you can just take your maps and head off onto the ocean and go searching yeah and Lloyd if you never uh, did, did you ever complete the Wind Waker yeah, 100% that one. Okay, good. Now, yeah, now, uh, the thing is that, uh, again, um, the, the final battle in, in, in the Wind Waker, I mean, my favorite is still Ocarina, but the Wind Waker is the second. It's and epic. It's, it's so yeah. epic. <laughs> I think I never really got past it. it to me, as a, as, a, as a game developer, I could I can still see the kind of jagged edges where they cut things out for time, and mm. I struggle to see past that because all I can see is what's been removed. That is yeah. very that is very understandable. I can't blame you for that. That being said, my favorite thing about the HD remake of Wind Waker, the fact that I can take a selfie during the final fight, um, <laughs> that is my favorite thing. Uh, I managed to take us during the final fight. I managed to take a selfie where I'm like smiling ear to ear while the final boss is about to stab me with a sword, and that photo alone is like 
okay, this justifies me getting the HD remake because I love this screenshot. Yeah, nice. actually, it's very it's, it's very funny to get into the meverse of the of the, the HD uh, Wind Waker and just see people posting all those <laughs> their selfies, and some of them are really really cool. <laughs> 2015, Majora's Mask 3D. I had it on the Wii Virtual Console, then I moved all my purchases across, and all the progress I made in that goddamn game disappeared. I got to, like, the swamp and, like, past the first mask... And that is a it's a hard going game if you're going into yeah. it. Yeah. Like a, it's an N64 game, and it it really made me think. God, the N64 was limited in its capacity yeah. from back then. Um, is it? Is it? I mean, obviously, it's better on 3DS. Is it really more accessible okay, on 3DS? There, there is one yeah. major change that's been made that makes it so much more accessible. You oh, can yeah. save at any time without having to reset the clock. Oh my well, god! Yes. Time. Because that's that's why I never finished the original. I didn't have the time. You can at any time just click, I'd like to save now. And then it's like, okay, you can save and you can come (laughs) back. And that's fine. I'm I'm curious because uh, I haven't played the the new, obviously the new version of Majora's Mask. But uh, you can do that in the the version I have. Do I have a hacked N64 cartridge? No, no, no. You could do it. You could do it. You could previously do it at set owl statues. But yeah. if you oh, loaded, okay, that, you if you loaded okay. that save It's like once, Ocarina of Time saving. Yeah. Well, kind of, no. but the problem was, if you loaded that save once, you could never load that save again. It was like a temporary save state. It wasn't a proper Ooh. save yeah. file. Oh, yeah, the thing, okay, okay, I see that. that uh, Majora's Mask, yes. uh, when it was released in Japan, you only could save uh, by resetting the clock, and they realized that that was a very... <laughs> Uh, yeah, an annoyance. So for for the for the western for the western uh, versions, they they created this uh, temporary uh, save file. You could uh, do it, but you had to like you had to leave the dungeon, find a, an owl statue. You could okay. save there. You yeah. don't load that save up once. Yeah, but you always and but you always had save after you loaded it. Yeah, but you had a, an old statue at the entrance of every single dungeon. So yeah, but you still had to retrace your way back through to where yeah. you were in the dungeon, which takes up some of your time. Although even even though they have uh, made the made the game more accessible, I I wouldn't recommend Majora's Mask as an entry point for the, for the series because it, it's so different yeah, from the rest of, from from the rest of the series too much. But it's advanced Zelda. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. okay. Here's an interesting. Um, I'm not sure if uh, any of you guys know uh, Yahtzee uh, from The Escapist. Cause ben he, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, well, because I mean, the thing is, he actually hates Zelda games, and he actually liked Majora's Mask. There are, I, I know I know a lot of people who hate like Zelda games in general, but I introduce them to Majora's Mask, and they're actually like, "Oh, well, this is pretty interesting." Like they like it's the anti Zelda. It's the anti Zelda, and I mean, I like yeah. I love Majora's Mask, but I mean, but I mean, I I mean, I find a lot of people if they actually know nothing like about Zelda, hmm. they just know it exists, they might actually enjoy the game, like because if they're not uh-huh. going into it. You know, expecting a Zelda yeah. game essentially. I, I don't think I it's... don't think those folks are listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't think it's the best Zelda game, but it's easily my favorite, personally. Same. Well, not my wow. favorite, but I think it's yeah. it's one of the best. Your favorite is is Majora. Yeah, I. Wow. So, okay, so um, I'll try and make this a very short version of events. Um, I love Majora because when I was originally playing it, I was in my teenage years or like just come early teens, and 
this was like I felt like I had no control in the world and like this is like I'm living in a world where it's like ah all these things are out of my control and everything's a bit bleak because I was a bit of a depressed teenager and it really sort of rung a bell with me where it was this um, Majora's Mask is this story of a series of things where you can't fix everything and you can't save everyone but that's okay and it became this sort of thing of yes there's a lot of things that go bad in the world and yes there are little things you can do here and there to make people's lives better but ultimately you can't fix everyone's lives and you don't have to there are certain things that you can't you can't do everything but that's fine mm-hmm. just do what you have you can make the world a better place in the ways you can and everything will turn out okay and that core of the story just really resonated me when i was about 13 well, you can still try though oh you can try but it's like a great example being the anju and cafe three-day quest yeah like you can spend three days doing that quest and fixing their resolution and their resolution's still a sad one you still don't get a good resolution for them but it's a resolution and then it's like, oh, we got this, but all of those other people in this three-day cycle, I didn't manage to do their things, and the moon's falling, and I'm going to reset this, and and you and Cafe, their whole quest will be undone again. Yeah, like, actually, you can't, there's no three-day cycle in which you can complete all of the quests and make everyone happy. Yeah, there is. There are several. Uh, for uh, for example, in the Anju and and Cafe uh, side quest, which, by the way, I think is the best uh, side quest oh, of all time. Its resolution is amazing. It, it's yeah. amazing that a kid's game would draw the conclusions that that quest drew, and for that to be its happy ending. Well, th- uh, I think that Zelda games are more like a, a little bit like the best Disney movies, that they are not only for kids, they are for everyone. But mm. um, uh, what I was going to say is that there are, there are s- several side quests that you cannot complete um, if you are going to complete the, the Anjuan Cafe side quest. So, yeah. That, yeah. It's like you can't save everyone, you can't make everyone happy, but that's okay. And that, that just really resonated with me when I happened to play it. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the antagonist Skull Kid, like I was saying, I think he's like one of the best antagonists that's ever appeared in a Zelda game. Has there ever been another villain who's actually had like not just a being defeated resolution at the end of the game? Is there an, I've ever been? I can't think of one honestly, but he, he's, he's probably like I believe he's the only Zelda villain who ever gets a living redemption. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, the thing is, I don't see him as a as a villain because I mean exactly. the, the true the, the, the true the true big bad is the the mask itself basically. <laughs> Yeah. Oops, sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, statue yeah. limitations on, on on Majora's Mask is well and truly passed. Try get hold of Joshua for this one, by the way. He's also one of the few villains you can um where you actually see his hand throughout the world. Like you, like when you're in like the Lost Woods version in Majora's Mask, you find the witch and she's like, "Oh, this imp knocked me off my broom." Mm. Or you find, and obviously the cafe side quest that's all caused because of Skull Kid and his interference and that stuff. Yeah. Like well, ev- you can see his finger in everything in the world essentially. Well, that's something that the Solo series uh, how, how knows how to do very well. Uh, Ocarina of Time did the same thing with, with Ganondorf, actually. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe with the Skull Kid, they made things a little bit more personal. Yeah, that, than... I, that, I guess that's the thing, is I would say it's a lot more personal. Like, yeah, you, and you find out about his story. Obviously, Tail tells you he was like, yeah, at the very beginning of the game, Tail's like, he wasn't such a bad guy. He took care of me and my brother when, you know, we were all essentially orphans his, and they his, lived together. His... 
but his friends abandoned him and then he got mad and he's like I'm gonna make you be my friends give yeah. me ultimate power oh goodness exactly. I can't handle this it, it's the story of what happens when uh, you know when an when an angry child is given godlike powers essentially <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think we're all learning what that feels like right now One person I was thinking about asking about this was, um, so this next one is Hyrule Warriors. Mm. Laura, just off the record, um, Jim, he quite likes this game, doesn't he? Oh, he very, 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 very much likes yeah. this game. I wonder if you, like, could you drop him like a, uh, Alex would love, like just two minutes of you ranting about how this is great. Like he, he um, doesn't have to come on the show. Remind but, like, me. I know he's very busy. Remind me on Wednesday. I can probably get him to just talk two or three minutes Ooh, about it. Yeah. You could record it and then just send it to me. Yeah. Just say like, why is High Wool Warriors good, Jim? If, Go. If you and can, then just, yeah, yeah. If you can remind me this on oh, like, thank you. About That's your heart. three or four o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. Okay. I'll set my alarm that. on that. Okay. Right. That uh, I will. Three, I'll see what I can do. Twenty fourteen Hyrule Warriors. I'm Glenn Watts, and I'm a huge fan of Omega Forces Dynasty Warriors games, a series that is seen by a lot of people as mindless and repetitive, but I've always found very relaxing and, to be honest, quite nuanced. So when the Nintendo Direct at the end of December in 2013 revealed that they were partnering with Koei Tecmo to make a Warriors game based on the Zelda series. I pretty much rushed off to get my pre-order in. Over the next few months, the developer slowly teased out the cast of playable characters, starting with obvious characters, Link, Impa, but then expanding to include not-so-obvious ones, Midna, Ruto, Fi, and then eventually Princess Zelda herself, all told the final game ships with more playable female characters than playable male characters. But this is a game based entirely on combat against hordes of enemies rather than the standard Zelda one-on-one swordplay, so the character designs are more heavily armed and armoured than normal. Link actually wearing chainmail is long overdue, although Zelda's combat armor includes an unfortunate boob plate. Also, some of the new female characters created for the game do have a touch of the dead or alive about them, the techno influence kind of showing itself. But what it is, is unashamedly a love letter to the Zelda series. The level design and set pieces play on your nostalgia for all the previous games. Classic series weapons and items are worked into the game design in interesting ways and even the cheesy J-Rock remixes of many classic Zelda themes will make you smile. It's clearly been made with a great deal of love and respect for the source material. And the most surprising thing of all, it has more depth and variety of gameplay than even the most complex of the previous Warriors games. It has more replay value. It has more heart. It's simply the best Warriors game Omega Force have ever made. Is it the best Legend of Zelda game? No, it's not even close. But what it is, is one of the best games on the Wii U. And there we go. Play Hyrule Warriors now. <laughs> I really, really I've, like this game. <laughs> I've never really liked Dynasty Warriors, um, but obviously with the, the Hyrule aspect of it would, would change that. It's. I know a lot of people who have played this and either never played the Warriors games or don't really like the Warriors games who rate this game very highly. It's. It takes the basic formula that they came up with and just... It seems to fit better with this than it does with anything else they've done with it previously. Mm-hmm. It's... it's it's a little strange in that respect. It's it's fan service done right, honestly. It's taking a relatively small number of um, of things from the lineage of that series and putting a lot of detail and love into 
representing them in ways that feel unique for each individual character in each world. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort just to be like, we are going to make this very, very, very accurate to make each character feel very unique. And it, it's just really good fan service. It's fan service that feels like a lot of love and attention went into it rather than it being a quick ca- cash grab. Having been a big fan of Dynasty Warriors for many, many years, I've been interested in the idea of various spin-offs. They've tried that with Samurai Warriors, which took the the beat-em-all kind of gameplay and took it to Japan. It's a very strong series in its own right. Uh, They tried to branch out with Warriors of Troy, which wasn't very good at all and kind of disappointing, but it did make me very interested to see... Koei and Omega Force take the idea and spin it off into different things. Uh, So when they announced Hyrule Warriors, I was incredibly excited. If not for the fact that this wasn't the first time there was talk of Nintendo and Omega Force working on something like this. Originally there was talk of a Pokemon-themed Warriors title, uh, where you would presumably be little Pikachus and Squirtles or what have you, running around beating up hundreds and hundreds of Pokemon, which was... Funnily enough, for a game series based around glorified cockerel fighting, uh, deemed a bit too violent, but Hyrule Warriors being a lot more swords and high fantasy uh, seemed to work much better. So when they announced that, it was one of the most joyous occasions of my life, at least in my gaming life. Uh, You know, I mean, I think getting married and and having a house probably ranks a bit higher than a Dynasty Warrior spin-off, but... What are you going to do? Anyway, point point is, is that I am a big fan of The Legend of Zelda, like many people are. Huge fan of the Dynasty Warriors series, so the two of them going together was just absolutely perfect. And the game itself was just wonderful. Uh, I don't think there's been a, a, a more content-rich Warriors game to have been released. Uh, this goes beyond just simple number of playable characters. Uh, the number of playable characters compared to other Warriors games is relatively small, but the diversity of them is incredible. Uh, they, the Each one plays very differently from the last. Uh, my favourite being Zant. I'm a big fan of Zant as a character. Uh, he was the, the principal villain outside of the obvious from Twilight Princess, and they the, the way they just captured his personality in his attacks, sort of these manic screaming attacks that if you mistime them or, or overuse them can leave him open to attack as he gets dizzy and confused and hurts himself. Uh, it was just perfect. Uh, and they do that with everything. When you play as Ganondorf, you feel like Ganondorf stomping around and smashing things up. Uh, when you play as as Agatha, the bug princess, you feel like her. It's, they really nailed every character's uh, style in the gameplay. Uh, so there was a lot of thought that went into it. There's a lot of, of, of references, a lot of subtle references that are thrown in, just the attention to detail and the, the way that they've worked hard to make sure this feels like a Zelda game as much as a Warriors game is impeccable and that's why it was easily one of my favourite games of, of 2014 and why I'm uh, thrilled about the 3DS version that's coming uh, so yeah, that that's that's it, it's as a fan of both series, seeing them come together in such a 
such an unlikely way and such a beautifully realised way. I mean, this is an idea that should have should have been a joke where the humour of it wears off after an hour, but I kept coming back because there's just so much to do, so much to unlock, and, and it just works really well. It, better than it ever should have for, for something that's a novelty that actually turns out to be a beautifully, sublimely done game is rare, so good. Good for them. Good for them. Huge, huge thanks to Jim there for a little cameo at the end. It's fantastic to get your voice on my show. And massive thanks to Laura Kate Dale, Gary Blower, Glenn Watts, Ian Hopwood, Lloyd Hun, David Garcia Abril, and Richard Lego. We'll be back for a Breath of the Wild show in a few months' time.